Amen. Um, apologize for um, the um, sound issue. I think we've got that fixed now, but we understand that the um, sound wasn't working just right, but uh, hopefully that um, is uh, remedied now. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue uh, our series into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Um, stressful, uncertain, um, challenging times for all of us. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal. But God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see or ears to hear? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, He must present us with a moment of crisis. And since He wants us to seek help from Him, He brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. 
When we're in a wilderness season, as we are now, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. And of course, we just finished uh, uh, Easter and trust you had a great Easter celebration. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust Him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. And that's what we've been doing. This is actually uh, week 16 um, of our um, time in this series. And this morning, what we want to look at is space and place for life. Um, Several years ago, a book came out, uh, Margins, No Margins for Life. It's like no space. Uh, It's kind of like feeling like life is being lived bone on bone. There's no cushion. Uh, We need space. And we need a place. We often talk about in our couples workshop, especially uh, that Carla and I love doing, is having a safe place, discovering our safe place. As children, where was our safe place? Um, a treehouse, uh, nanny's breakfast table, uh, our, our, our little uh, hideout that we created in the closet as kids, uh, under the bed. Um, we are just innately drawn toward survival. The way God has orchestrated our brain or created our brain, we are on the alert for danger or safety. And oftentimes that distinction uh, is anchored in a place. What place do you go to to feel safe? Especially as a kid, where did you go? Where did you go? So this morning, as we begin, um, pick up your pen. Let's go to work. I want you to um, uh, intentionally and deliberately engage with me. And I've got three questions. Let's do a little journaling. First question that I would um, ask you is, where do you best experience God? In other words, you know, it's, it's like, where, where is your safe place with God? Where, where do you go to feel connected to God? Now, uh, I would trust and hope that many of you would answer that question, church. I go to church. I love going to church on Sunday morning. I sit between those two stained glass windows, and man, I feel the presence of God. I love going to church. I'm committed to church, and I miss not being able to be in church, especially this past Sunday. But that's not where I um, feel closest uh, to God. It's not the place that I would say in answer to that question, where do you best experience God? I do go to a cathedral, a giant cathedral, a beautiful cathedral. And that cathedral is the one that God has made with his own hands. Um, The beauty of nature. It is God's creation. When we do our summer trips uh, and Many of you have been on those trips. Uh, We've been doing them for over 10 years. 
and we've gone all over the West uh, um, kayaking with orca whales in Vancouver, uh, horseback riding in the Canadian Rockies, whitewater rafting down the Salmon River, uh, Glacier National Park, Yosemite. Uh, well, Yosemite is on our uh, target for August uh, of this year uh, if we get to execute that. But being in those beautiful places, um, wow, is the experience of God. God's hand created this. It is a cathedral, space and place. Where is that for you now? Is there a space in all of this wilderness tension and even a tangible place that you experience God? That's what we're talking about this morning. Got to have it. Second question that I would ask you is this. What do you want your relationship with God to be? Ever thought about that? What what do you want your relationship with God to be? You know, when I got married, um, man, I, I was scared to death and excited at the same time. And I wanted a deep, intimate relationship. I didn't even know what intimacy was and Carla will testify to that. But to the degree that I knew, I wanted intimacy, not not just sex, but true intimacy to have somebody to share my life with. And she is my best friend. There's nobody on the planet that I would rather be with. Um, And I want that kind of intimacy with God. And especially during this time, And I have to tell you, um, that's not been uh, my experience through these last uh, four weeks or so. I've had to kind of get retooled and retuned uh, and get out of my own anxiety and fear that at times has just tsunamied me. I've felt flooded with all the uncertainty going on. But I know that my priority today as I stand with you is that at the end of this, whenever the end is, and we can all be together, even in the training room here at Ceasefire, I want to be able to say to you that my relationship with God is vital, intimate, and organic. Nobody has told me, nobody has forced me, but I have fallen in love with Jesus afresh because of this pandemic, this viral plague, what do you want to be the result of this whole wilderness experience relative to your relationship with God? I I believe if we don't have that, if we can't say that, then anything else is just secondary because that is the purpose of the wilderness in many ways is for God to um, instill in us a fresh dependency upon him. And that was certainly true of the children of Israel. Third question. Again, we've asked this consistently the last few weeks. Who do you know that is in the wilderness now? It's that guy you shave um, every morning. It's the guy you look uh, at uh, uh, in the mirror. Now, uh, Jeff has grown a beard through this, so somehow he just is exempt from that illustration. But it's the idea that we're all in the wilderness. 
and and some of you've got older parents. Uh, well, of course, I guess all of our parents are older, so that's redundant. But um, parents who are in nursing homes, um, children who are young and can't figure out why they can't go down the street and play with their friends and neighbors, can't go to school. Um, we're all in the wilderness, all in the wilderness. So let's dig in. Space and place. I want you to turn over to our theme verse. It's been a while since we've read this. This is kind of the verse that we hang everything on. And I wanted to go back to it as a reminder. So 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 2 says this. This is where we started 16 weeks ago. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn, learn, be a disciple. That's what disciple means, learner. Be a disciple in order to think like him. Learn to think like him. What does that mean to have the mind of Christ? That's what the Apostle Paul says. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Wow. What if? What if? Imagination. What if this whole pandemic was somehow being allowed by God, not caused by God, but being allowed by God to bring us into more of a dependent relationship with Him in the exact same way that He intended the wilderness in the, with the children of Israel to prepare them for the promised land by increasing their awareness and dependency on Him. Wow. Wow. Guys, I think that's exactly what's going on. Please don't miss that. You know, this is not some sort of Sunday school children's sermon thing. I think it is a greater reality than we can get our hands on. God is in this. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Dead gone it. You know what I want? I want control. I want control. Um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Um, but in my unhealthiness, in my anxiety, I turn to an unhealthy one. Now, to those of you who are a one on the Enneagram and, and know what I'm talking about, man, a one is a wonderful person, very gifted, as each one of the types on the Enneagram are. But an unhealthy one, not good. Because an unhealthy one really moves toward perfection and control. And as a seven, a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill seven, when I get squeezed, I turn in to a perfectionist, a control freak. I want things my way. And this wilderness experience challenges that. So, as we dig in, safe, uh, safe place, uh, we move in to 
the tabernacle. The story of the tabernacle in the wilderness. So turn over with me to Exodus chapter 25. (coughs) And Jeff will throw it up on the screen. Exodus 25. And uh, God has something in mind to help the uh, children of Israel, the, uh, the Jews, to better connect to him. Um, and this is what he says, Exodus 25, verse 1. God spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites that they are to set aside offerings for me. Receive the offerings from everyone who is willing to give. These are the offerings I want you to receive from them. Now, this list makes me laugh because, you know, in the Cecil D. DeMille portrayal of the Red Sea, and of course, you know, we all know uh, Moses was Charlton Heston. You know, you see them in that movie scene crossing the Red Sea. You know what was missing in that scene? the big line of U-Hauls, trucks that had all this stuff in it. Where did this stuff come from? There must have been U-Hauls somehow crossing the Red Sea. Because listen to this, what a list. But evidently, they were carrying them on their backs, wagons, whatever. But in my crazy head, I see U-Haul trucks full of equipment. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, dolphin skins, acacia wood, lamp oil, spices for anointing oils and fragrant incense, onyx stones and other stones for setting in the ephod and the breastpiece. Wow, what a train of stuff. And all of that stuff God was going to use symbolically to give the children of Israel a three-dimensional picture, a tangible, touchable picture of the true tabernacle. And we know him, his name to be Jesus. So he says this, Let them construct a sanctuary for me so that I can live among them. So that I can live among them. Now, I would invite you just to write down that phrase, so that I can live among them. In your study Bible, it actually says that I may dwell among them. Where is that space and place for God to dwell among you? Years ago, um, when when I was... um, in Philadelphia with executive ministries. And I would drive down on Tuesday mornings down to Wilmington, Delaware. And we had a men's group, just like we have here on Seaspire, that met um, at the Cigna Insurance uh, Cafeteria. And these guys would come. And one of our guys um, had just become a Christian. And he was from a Catholic background. Jeff can identify with this. And uh, he brought it. You know, we told him after he came the first couple of times, you need to bring your Bible. And the only Bible he had was the big Catholic coffee table Bible. <laughs> it was hilarious. And so he comes in the next week. He's, he's a new baby Christian, and he's got the biggest Bible I've ever seen in my life. It was hilarious, but it was like he knew 
that that Bible was no longer just something on the coffee table. It was really space and place. It was part of the tabernacling journey that he was now on. And so God says, so that I can live among them. You are to construct it following the plans I've given you, the design for the dwelling and the design for all of its furnishings. And from Exodus 25 through Exodus 31, if you're a Bible reader through, you, you kind of start feeling like you're getting bogged down. It's not quite as boggish as Leviticus uh, can be, but from 25 to 31 are just numerous, intricate details on the construction of the tabernacle, that God would have a dwelling place among them. And every aspect of that tabernacle would symbolize an aspect of what Jesus was going to fulfill because Jesus is labeled as the one true tabernacle. So the tabernacle is very detailed. And, you know, there's numerous, I mean, now with YouTube and all that, you can pull up YouTube, you can see it uh, animated, uh, constructed, pictures of it, what it looks like. Unbelievable detail. And the wonderful thing about he the Hebrew language is Hebrew language, as I've mentioned to you before, is a language that is understood by pictures. And so when you study Hebrew, you're studying well, it's like, it's like you, you find pictures or you find uh, images that help you understand what that word means. And so here's God giving the Hebrews a full three-dimensional understanding through all kinds of pieces from the linens to the uh, candlesticks. All of these pieces are symbolizing, picturing an aspect of what Jesus will eventually do. The other thing that's included uh, in the construction of the tabernacle is the promise of Eden restored. That there's aspects of the way that the tabernacle was constructed um, with the courtyard that um, points toward Eden the way it once was. But here's the cool thing, the way it's going to be the way it's going to be. In Revelation 21 and 22, and I'd invite you just to take the time to read those two chapters of Revelation, it's like a picture of Eden restored. And when God had the children of Israel construct the tabernacle, it part of the image there was, you know how your uh, great-granddaddy told you about Eden, this place of Adam and Eve, and how beautiful it was? Well, the things in this part of the tabernacle are pointing toward what will be restored one day. Wow. But here is what we get to understand in a way that the children of Israel never understood uh, clearly. It was, it was like, as, as Scripture says, a fog or a mirror uh, being able to see dimly. We now understand that everything was pointed toward Jesus. Jesus. I want you to turn over to John chapter 1, and I, and I forgot to include this in the notes. So this is not in your notes if you printed this out, and I forgot to tell Jeff to throw it up there. But, but this is a familiar passage um, to many of uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 14. This is what it says. 
John, the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now that's Eugene Peterson's very uh, newspaper English wording. But in your study Bible, it says, He came and dwelt among us. And, and the actual Greek word there is the word for tabernacle. It's like he came and tabernacled with us. And so it's like, you know, my, my friend in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, you know, when he had that coffee table, big old Catholic Bible on his uh, coffee table, it was just nothing but a piece of religious artifact. But when he came to Jesus and he began to experience Jesus, man, he grabbed that big old Catholic Bible and he brought it to Bible study that Jesus had come to tabernacle inside of him and at his house. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And again, in your study Bible, it says that he came full of grace and truth. Grace, acceptance, and yet truth, that there's lime on the playing field. Truth is structurally an aspect of life. That we know where the boundaries are. We know how to live life. Stay inside the boundaries and good will come. Get outside the boundaries, there'll be consequences. And then, the, then the Apostle Paul just takes this a little bit further. Turn over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Now listen to this. This is verses 14 through 18. And, and Paul just presses in to this idea of the tabernacle being Jesus. But listen to this. This is amazing. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Even in the book of James, it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, trying to play both sides of the fence. Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are. Each of us, a temple in whom God lives that we are the tabernacle. We are the temple. And God himself put it this way. I'll live in them and move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master, God, he's quoting an Old Testament passage that came out of this idea of the tabernacle. See, the idea of the tabernacle is an invitation, much like the song talked about, for us to surrender. That God wants to dwell among us. He is the dwelling place of God. The promise of Eden restored. Jesus fulfilled that, and He lives in us. I surrender. I surrender. Now, I want to show you a clip that is so powerful, even in a 
um, an unusual sort of way. And we've been using the Band of Brothers uh, as kind of our case study. And again, the Band of Brothers, those guys were truly in the wilderness. I mean, they were literally being shot at, dying. Um, the wilderness is like war. And this is a, this is a scene where um, the Americans, the Band of Brothers, have taken over this whole area and they have captured the enemy. They've captured the Germans. And uh, before they're taken off to wherever they took them for holding, and of course there's uh, prison camps, uh, there were prison camps in Hines County, Mississippi, um, that these Germans uh, stood before their officer, and their officer is surrendering. And there is something incredibly powerful even in watching surrender in the eyes of a defeated enemy. And you can watch the scene, the way this is shot, to where at first the American officer who's over this group, he's perturbed at the way that Winters, Sergeant Winters, who was the ultimate uh, commanding officer, is orchestrating this. I mean, I, I think in a sense, like, he just wanted to shoot them all. You know, let's just get rid of them. So he's perturbed. He's even mad at Winters, and you'll see this in this scene. But I want you to watch what happens even in the eyes of the American soldiers as they watch this German officer speak to his soldiers. Surrender through the eyes of a German officer. Watch this. With your permission, I would like to address my men briefly. That'll be fine, General. Captain Sobel? Major Winters? Captain Sobel. We salute the rank, not the man. Männer, es war ein langer Krieg. Es war ein harter Krieg. Men, it's been a long war. It's been a tough war. Ihr habt tapfer und stolz für euer Vaterland gekämpft. We fought bravely, proudly for your country. Ihr seid eine ganz besondere Truppe. You are a special group. Die ineinander einen Zusammenhalt gefunden hat. Found one another a bond. Wie er sich nur im Kampf entwickeln kann. Exists only in combat. Unter Kameraden. Among brothers. Die Fuchshöhlen geteilt haben. Shared foxholes. Die sich in schrecklichen Momenten gegenseitig gestützt haben. Held each other in dire moments. Die den Tod zusammen gesehen haben und gemeinsam gelitten haben. Death and together. 
Ich bin stolz, mit euch gedient zu haben. I'm proud to have served with each and every one of you. Sie alle verdienen ein langes und glückliches Leben in Frieden. You deserve long and happy lives in peace. Even in the eyes of a German officer and the translator, as he's translating those words, is moved by the dignity of just surrender. They're not so much uh, being honored in their defeat as they are in their humanity. Gentlemen, we are all humans. And we need to respect human life and grieve over the sadness of people dying uh, with this um, viral plague. But our own life, how are we living if we don't really have space and place for the living God? We've lost our dignity. We're like whining children. I surrender. I surrender every morning. Now, for many, for many, there is no place, there is no space. And when that happens, and you don't have a place, and you don't have a space, that's trouble. Now, yesterday morning, I drove up from Fairhope to Jackson. I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, of course. Um, and I came up 49, and when I got up to Collins, holy cow. Those poor people in Collins that experienced the tornado coming through their neighborhood um, on Sunday, and all the trees for about a mile were just mat sticks. Everything was broken down right there over 49, and I'm sure to my west and to my east, it was much, much worse than what I could visibly see. It's like, man, too much. It's like, is it not enough that we're in quarantine, uh, living in our homes, and then a tornado comes through? It's just like a tsunami, and it can be overwhelming. It's trauma. In, in, in trauma treatment, there is a little acronym that we use to try to quantify trauma. Emily, Emily, we call it. And what we call this, uh, first of all, is we need to define the event. You know, again, we're, we're in, a, in a wilderness experience. Uh, 2020 will be known, and hopefully it'll be uh, gone uh, uh, for the most part by the end of 20. But for the rest of our lives and throughout history, uh, 2020 will be the year of the viral plague. It was an event. And then um, we're trying to find the meaning the meaning. What is the meaning? Of course, you know, in searching for meaning, you know, we're bl blaming the Chinese and blaming Trump and Trump's blaming the Democrats. And I mean, you know, it's just crazy. 
But what if we could just be anchored in that a great part of the meaning is this God is trying to get our attention and draw us into a more dependent, healthy, living relationship, intimate and organic with him. How about that for a meaning? And just stop right there. Just stop right there. Boy, that would eliminate a lot of the trauma. And then, and then this is the piece that I want you to really understand relative to what we're talking about today. We call this in this, um, uh, this acronym relative to trauma is landscape. Um, in our counseling practice, we talk about landscape. It's like, what was the landscape when the trauma occurred? Now, if it's a good landscape, you've got, uh, uh, and you've got good resources, you've got a really good chance of uh, getting through the event of the trauma well. But if the landscape uh, your resources were really uh, in a state of deprivation when the trauma occurred, dude, you were already running on empty and now you're out of gas. Your bank account emotionally and spiritually was already overdrawn and then the tsunami of the trauma happens and you're in trouble. The literal landscape down in Collins was beautiful, pine trees, and by Monday morning, matchsticks. The landscape had changed. It is so important that our landscape be resodded, replanted, and there's green vegetation to handle what's ahead. Trauma. And then finally, is this inescapable sense. If it feels like that we are trapped and we have no way out to the degree that it feels inescapable, uh, boxed in, then that is the degree that we're going to experience PTSD, real trauma. And this whole idea of no space and no place, I mean, it makes us feel small, like grasshoppers is the way the 10 spies said that they felt when they crossed over to spite um, over the Jordan River to the Canaanites. And it's like then we start living a lie. You know what is going to be one of the results of this pandemic? Adultery is going to be up. Men cheating on their wives. Wives cheating on their uh, husbands. Pornography, I guarantee, is increasing right now. Alcoholism increasing, drug addiction increasing, and those aren't in the news right now because obviously uh, other issues around the pandemic uh, are getting all the airtime, but people are hurting and they're seeking love in all the wrong places. They're building idols in their front yard. Now, I want to close with this. It is so important that we have space and place in order to experience, to experience, not just give lip service, but to feel the presence of Jesus. Guys, I don't, I don't want to just be labeled, oh, oh, you know, he's a 
Christian therapist or, um, you know, he is a church goer. He's actually a church officer or, you know, he has a Bible, big Catholic Bible, <laughs> you know. I don't want to be labeled in that. You know what I want to be labeled as? I want to be labeled as somebody who is intimately acquainted with the living Jesus, the tabernacle that came to live with us. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, it has been a struggle for me. Um, I have really had um, to get down on my knees and acknowledge my anxiety, my unhealthy oneness in the midst of this pandemic. And part of the way that I've been doing that is threefold there on your notes. One is I've increased my uh, love of music and listening to music. John Gottman, in his research with couples, says that for every negative comment, blame and criticism in a marriage, you need five positives. Now, let's just apply that relative to the amount of time that you listen to TV news and how much worship and music that you're listening to. I would say, using that John Gottman principle, that we need to be listening to five times the amount of music in order to overcome all of the negative TV news that we listen to. Five to one, music. And we have this playlist that we've developed for you on Spotify. And again, not even all Christian music, but just listening to good rock, good, you know, the music that I grew up listening to. The idea of feeling um, the, the presence of music changes our brain waves and our heart. And then, and then secondly, I would say contemplative Bible reading. And by contemplative Bible reading, I'm talking about listening to the voice of God, not gaining um, information so much and not, you know, working through all the intricate doctrines and theology details, which is great. I have a seminary degree. I'm very proud of that. But I've had to get back to really listening to the voice of God and reading Scripture. I'm working right through uh, right now through Tim Keller's book, The Songs of Jesus, which is uh, a journey through the Psalms. And I'm just reading through the Psalms and listening and journaling and journaling and journaling. And then finally, this idea of embracing suffering. Hello, my name is Phil, and I'm an alcoholic. Is what we say in AA. And it's like, hello, my name is Phil, and I'm hurting. I'm worried. I'm scared. Rather than saying, what's wrong? Nothing. No, I'm fine. No, this is challenging. So I would just close with this. Music, contemplative, Bible reading, really acknowledging our suffering. And I would just draw back to the hymn, I surrender that we started with. Listen to this. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Into the arms of Jesus is truly the space and the place, the tabernacle that he dwells with us and among us. Remember that. Let me close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you've given us this medium to be together. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice, to feel your presence, and to sit in a place that you can love on us 
that fuels our tank for the journey ahead, even today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay safe. See you next week.